Welcome to Relay Chain, a podcast produced by Parity Technologies, where we discuss all things Substrate, Polkadot, and Web3. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Relay Chain. I'm here and I'm super excited. I'm here with Logan and David from Zeitgeist, a prediction market on uh, Polkadot and Kusama. And we're going to dig deep into uh, Zeitgeist and to find out what it's all about. Um, but first, welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for being here. How are you guys doing? Hey, good. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Hey, Jordan. Great to be here. Awesome. I think Zeitgeist has been pretty under the radar for most of the part, but you guys uh, recently closed a, a nice seed round, but I don't think a lot of folks really know about what Zeitgeist is. So let's start really high level and talk about what is Zeitgeist. Um, yeah, so Zeitgeist is an evolving blockchain for prediction markets and Futarchy. Futarchy is the application of prediction markets um, in a governance aspect. Um, so we're building a layer one parachain with the core functionality of uh, permissionlessly creating, trading, and resolving prediction markets. And then we take this core functionality of prediction markets and apply it to our on-chain governance as well. Um, so that's a few target aspect. We're building kind of the entire tech stack of a prediction market from the parachain layer, the primitives of prediction markets, um, up to the application. So this includes like the the middleware layer as well, which is uh, we're building an SDK for that. A lot of focus as well on like the user experience and the the UI of prediction markets. Cool. Yeah, there's there's so much there that I want to dig into. But before we go like too much deeper into that, I want to like know who you guys are a little bit. So Logan, I remember when I um, when I was researching Parity and, and Polkadot before I started working with Parity, I remember watching a bunch of videos of you because you worked with Web3 Foundation and um, you were in the education team. And um, David, I've just kind of met you and I know you've been doing a bunch of work in uh, the prediction market space. So how did you guys come together to create Zeitgeist? Yep, that's a good question. So I'll talk a bit about, I guess, my background and how I ended up at uh, Web3 Foundation and then how that became Zeitgeist. So um, so I got started in the blockchain space in like late 2016. I'd heard about Bitcoin some point before then, um, but what really kind of kicked off my interests was uh, when I discovered Ethereum at late 2016. Um, so I started just kind of learning Solidity and like researching into like what smart contracts were and like I remember having this like moment where where it was like you can create money and like this just kind of blew my mind as uh, something that I just had like so much power and potential to um, do really cool things with. So I started initially building building some DApps with friends and like was part of the computer science club at my university. So spent some time with friends I knew through there, um, just starting building to build DApps and kind of talk about Ethereum and uh, just kind of jump down the rabbit hole. So after I graduated university, I started working with a company called Chronologic on a project called the Ethereum Alarm Clock, uh, which was a decentralized scheduling protocol. Essentially, it solved this very practical need of kind of setting up the transactions beforehand and letting them execute for you at a later time. We had a whole kind of ecosystem built around that involving 
these decentralized actors um, who would execute those transactions. Yeah, I worked on that for a little while. Um, and then I, going forward to like early, late 2018, early 2019, I was working on a, a new project called Convergent. And we were building a personal tokens platform um, using kind of bonding curves as, as the uh, token emission mechanism. So it was during this time that I started to kind of hit my head against the, the limits of the EVM, let's say the constraints. Even while working on the Ethereum alarm clock, I had kind of, we had this issue where um, it was really expensive gas-wise to use. And there was ways you could optimize it, but they were always more of like hacks than they were um, like good engineering practice. Um, so once again, with Convergent, I started to kind of get in this situation where I felt like a lot of the things that would make the product better were like hacking what you could do inside of this constrained environment. Um, so that's kind of when I started to look around and discovered Substrate. And again, had like one of these big moments where it was like, it felt to me like this was like kind of the next, the next step of like blockchain tech and like building blockchains. So I built some early Substrate modules and then um, noticed that Web3 Foundation was hiring some positions. Um, I think I completed like a bounty for them and uh, yeah, and then got hired in the technical education department. Um, so initially I worked on building out the Polkadot Wiki, um, which was at that time didn't exist. Yeah, I wrote a bunch of content uh, for that, worked a bit on like Substrate docs themselves as well. Um, but then as kind of things moved on, I started to get pulled more into like tooling and kind of building some of the operational stuff around the uh, Kusama and Polkadot launches. After, after that happened, I also got involved with like validator ecosystem. Um, so um, helped to kind of set up and run the thousand validators program with Will from Parity for a while. Then around the beginning of this year, so beginning of 2021, got to the point where I had, I'd kind of been thinking about prediction markets for a while. Um, ever since I got into the space, like Augur was like one of my favorite projects at the time. And I had kind of been a fan and in the community over the years, um, just kind of in the background, kind of waiting, like eagerly waiting um, for a really good prediction market to pop up. Um, so after kind of not seeing this and going through this kind of experience of um, building different things at different times and kind of progressing through blockchain tech, um, I, I kind of saw this fit of prediction markets as an application um, or protocol and uh, substrate as a technology to bring this protocol to fruition. Started to kind of work on Zeitgeist like uh, during nights and weekends. And then earlier this year, I left uh, Web3 Foundation to work on it full time. Sweet. And, and David, how did you two link up with this project? Sure. Um, so going back a, a bit, um, I got involved in prediction markets um, back in 2004. So I've been um, interested in politics pretty much my whole life. And after the consternation around the 2000 election with, with the uncertainty, I, I figured there, there had to be a, a better way. So I thought about that for uh, you know, a period of time, but it wasn't until 2004, I was reading the book, The Wisdom of Crowds. Um, and it talked about prediction markets and how the many are, are smarter than the few. And if you can um, harness this information that it's, that it's very powerful. That, so that led me to um, Robin Hansen, who's the originator of prediction markets. And I was 
very interested in, in setting up a political project. Um, and so I asked Robin if he had any software available. He said, you should meet this guy, Ken Kitlitz. And so Ken and Robin built the first prediction market um, in existence back in the early 90s. And so Ken and I uh, met at a conference in Rutgers and uh, hit it off. And we decided to start a company together called Consensus Point. And the first project we we started was the um, political project called the Washington Stock Exchange, um, where we ran markets on elections, uh, policy, different events in the political space that that uh, ended up being very effective and successful. And that led to companies reaching out to us. GE became our first customer and we worked with uh, several dozen Fortune 500 size enterprises and, and organizations uh, of, of different sizes. And so I've spent, you know, the, the bulk of my career in prediction markets, you know, after consensus point, I, I spent some time uh, on a, a next gen prediction market system for, for the U.S. government. Uh, around that time, Bitcoin was was emerging, was very interested in that, but didn't become professionally involved in the space until Ethereum came along. I was very fascinated to see what Augur was doing, uh, what Gnosis was doing. Uh, I actually reached out to um, Gnosis to partner with them on some some ideas, and they were very supportive. Uh, and in fact, introduced me to uh, to Consensus, where I went to work for a few years on product strategy and working uh, with the with the teams there. But um, I met Chris Hutchinson Hutch, uh, who um, is the CMO at, at here at Zeitgeist, um, several years ago. And of course, he was at the Web3 Foundation. And uh, in the last year or so, I was telling him um, my interest in, in developing a prediction market product. And um, so we had been discussing that just on and off. And then um, he happened to mention that uh, he knew this guy, Logan, who just left the foundation to work on a prediction market platform. So uh, the three of us got together and, you know, the rest is history. Awesome. Like all, all great stories. It's not, uh, it's not always what, you know, of course that's a strong part of it, but it's who, you know, and the, the connectors that all bring everything together. So that's great. It's a great story to, uh, to hear. Okay. So you guys mentioned Futarchy and I think we, we went quickly past that. I think that th that was a new topic for me, a new word for me. And I think it's going to be new for a bunch of people. So let's, Let's really try and clarify what is Futarchy and what does that mean uh, within the context of Zeitgeist? So with Zeitgeist, um, what we want to do is we want to kind of push prediction markets further. Um, and, and what we see is one way to apply prediction markets further than they've been taken before is to apply them to on-chain governance in a binding way. So not only to use the signals to, to inform governance decisions, but to actually use uh, prediction market signals to, to implement rules into what proposals can get passed, um, when proposals don't get passed, when proposals get halted for some time. Um, so what Futarchy is, is, um, is really just using prediction markets for governance. And yeah, we have a few different ways that we're thinking um, this will look, um, but maybe, maybe I'll let David talk a bit more about it to, before we go into the details. Yeah, definitely. So with Futarchy, um, it allows you to aggregate information uh, for the purpose of decision making. So you decide some outcome of success that you want, uh, whether it's a, a development milestone or security, um, 
uptime or, or, or whatever this, this outcome is. And then you have a variety of ways to get there. So if you're, if you're a development team um, working on a new product um, and you're really obviously concerned with the, the impact that that product's going to have on the uptime of the network. And so um, you can basically make a bet on how we go about implementing this, this product um, and its probability of affecting the network uh, negatively. Um, and so it allows you to get decision contingent outcomes, basically answers the question of what would happen if we did this? If we have, you know, we have a problem that we're solving, some sort of knowledge problem and different ways of going about solving that problem, what's the most effective way? And, and uh, what we've seen is futarchy and prediction markets are the best mechanism that we know of when you compare all other approaches uh, of answering that question. And, and, and that's been borne out uh, many times. I find that super fascinating. So because like when I think of traditional pr uh, prediction markets, it's very much like it, it's a form of gambling. It's a betting. It's like what outcome is going to happen, and and you're kind of you know putting your money where your mouth is there. But in this case, it seems like it's it's betting on things that quote unquote really matter, uh, potentially having like real world implications on on the outcome of this. I think that's super fascinating. Okay, so um, you guys mentioned that you're you're building on Substrate, and for the, some of the folks that are listening, maybe this is uh, the first time learning about this. But um, Substrate's a way for you to build uh, bespoke blockchains that are specific to your use case. And so, for the use case of Zeitgeist, what is your kind of recipe for your blockchain? Like, um, there's different palettes that you can put together. What kind of palettes are you guys using, and are you developing your own palettes? Yeah, we are. So. So with Substrate, yeah, you have the so you have the ability to both like go into the internals of the chain and modify like very like low level pieces like the transaction pool, the 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 way blocks are produced and and so on. You also have like the runtime code, which is like what's actually being ran inside of a block. Um, so we are building our own pallets. Um, so the the pallets are kind of these modules uh, that you put together to create your full runtime. Um, and uh, so the pallets we're building are centered around prediction markets, of course. Um, so we have kind of a few um, pallets that we're working on. We have like a core prediction market pallet, and this kind of has the logic of creating markets. Um, and then it contains like the interface of resolving them and disputing them. Um, but we were also creating uh, separate pallets for the dispute mechanism. We kind of take an approach where um, we have a bit of flexibility um, under like how markets, first of all, how they're reported. So how the Oracle first puts the result of the market, but then also how the Oracle is secured, um, which means like under a dispute, how does the chain come to consensus on what the result will be? How, how can everyone agree on what the result will be? Um, so we were building some pallets for this. Uh, we have um, one that we're calling kind of like simple disputes. And it's really just a game of putting more and more stake behind uh, a result until until the other side kind of gives up. And then we're also building something a bit more robust um, called uh, the court pallet. And the idea of the court pallet is that we want to kind of economically incentivize actors of the protocol. Um, so anyone can join the court by putting some stake there. And when someone creates a dispute, they put a bond and um, they they create a court case. Um, so when they create a court case, we we draw a random subset of these 
um, staked users. And we basically ask them to come to consensus between themselves. In case that's disputed again, we have like an escalation mechanism. Um, so we allow further court cases, um, each time taking a larger subset of, of these staked users. And at some point we, we get to um, a cap. We say it's been enough court cases. Um, so it's a parameter in the runtime. I think it's set to six. So after six court cases, we pull that into like a chain wide vote. So it becomes available for anyone to kind of say what they think is the correct outcome. Um, so, so that's part of it, um, but we're also building pallets for um, trading as well. So we're building AMM pallets, um, automated market makers, one based on kind of the balancer formula and another based on the um, LMSR uh, formula, which was um, invented by Robin Hansen uh, as well. And um, we've been doing some research on how we can improve this specifically for our use case. Um, also, we've been, I, I think as far as I know, we're, we're the first to actually be implementing it in a blockchain context. Um, I, I know some projects have tried this before, but there's always been kind of major challenges that make it not practical um, on the EVM. Um, so we're, we've been working on solving these challenges and implementing it in, as a substrate palette. And then we're also using um, some of the, the, the frame palettes, right? So this substrate comes with a collection of um, modules and we're also using a number of those as well in our chain. Awesome. So it seems like you guys are you're deep into uh, into the substrate weeds there, and you're you're hacking away and building what uh, building the parachute as you're as you're going. Uh, that sounds awesome. Okay, so you talked about a couple things there. First of all, like I was kind of surprised to see automated market makers working in in this space, and so maybe you can kind of talk about how that fits into a prediction market framework because it. The way I traditionally have seen automated market makers is is more of a used for fungible tokens and and trading them and creating bonding curves to derive the value of of certain things. Um, so how does that work in the context of a prediction market? Yeah. So um, so I mean the core concepts are 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 the same. So with prediction markets, um, you create tokens that represent the outcome. So. We're able to use these tokens to provide liquidity and automated market maker and uh, for other people to come and trade um, using that provided liquidity. Um, so the core concept is the same. There's a difference in kind of like the risks of providing liquidity in prediction markets versus the risk of providing liquidity in like a, just some coin pair, right? Like ETH and DAI, let's say. Um, and, and the risk is uh, what's called impermanent loss. Um, so this exists also in any coin pair, but in prediction markets, it's a, it's a bigger problem. And the reason for that is because at some point, the outcomes become known and one of the tokens, uh, the value will essentially go to zero, uh, which means that the provided liquidity, um, so the people who initially provided that liquidity, essentially some part of the value that they put in uh, will essentially disappear and people will pull as much value as they can out. It's a problem that all prediction markets face that use AMMs. And it's the reason we're doing um, so much research into um, new AMM models. Um, so specifically on, on the LMSR AMM or the LMSR based AMM um, that we're working on that we've kind of codenamed Rakito. 
And uh, yeah, we're continuing to do further research on it. Um, we're putting together now kind of like a, a best um, practices guide on how to provide liquidity to prediction markets to reduce those risks. And we're, yeah, we're looking at how we can modify the AMM to make it harder for liquidity providers to kind of shoot themselves in the foot when providing liquidity. Okay, that makes sense. I think it might be useful here to maybe go through a test example. I know you guys recently did a test net called uh, Kusama Derby, where we're looking at, the, you were playing a game basically to, to kind of predict who was going to get the first uh, parachain slots. That might be a good example to kind of walk through, or maybe we can even make it simpler and, and devise like a, a more straightforward kind of example for like the flow of how a prediction market starts, people interact with the contract, then it gets resolved, and then maybe how it could be potentially uh, challenged afterwards. Does, does that make sense? So yeah, I guess it makes sense to use the Derby as an example here, because it's something we can relate to, I think. Uh, hopefully everyone listening to this call can relate to the uh, parachain auctions. So with the Kusama Derby, um, and just quickly was, um, so the, the test net's actually called Battery Park and the Derby was our kind of test net campaign. Um, so what we were doing with the Derby was we wanted to preview um, the tech while at the same time, kind of like building out a community and getting people to come use, use it. So we, ideally we can kind of solve through any bugs and practice with deployment and so on, stuff like that. Um, so what we decided to do was set up three markets one for each of the first three um, parachain slots and make this our campaign. Yeah, so to explain how like a prediction market works, when you create a market, um, you attach to it some metadata. And this metadata is essentially what this market's about. Um, so for the Derby market, let's say the, the first parachain slot auction market, the question inside of this metadata was who will win um, the first par Kusama parachain slot? And then each of the outcomes were one of the teams that were one of the first 10 teams who connected to Rococo. So you, you had Karura, Moon River, Shiden, and so on. And so with the prediction market, um, you're able to generate a full set of these outcome tokens by exchanging one uh, base unit token. And the reason that's possible and like the reason that works is because at the end of the market the winning outcome is redeemable for one base unit um so at, at the beginning they're all you don't know who's going to win so you can create one of each for one base unit because later just one of them will be worth that and the rest are worth zero um so what's interesting about the prediction market is what happens between between that between not knowing uh, which one is going to win and knowing. Um, and this is where the, the market dynamics and the market mechanism comes into play. So people will trade the market and the outcome tokens price will reflect the probability of that outcome being the one that happens. So in the Derby, at different times we had, we had like uh, Karura. Well, actually what we had was the, for the first market, Karura was a kind of an early leader. But there was other ones like um, Shiden, for instance, um, changed a lot throughout the whole time. Um, and uh, it changed from like 0.10 base units, which would be 10% probability, to up to like 30.3, uh, which would be 30% probability. 
And there's a lot of ways for traders to analyze the markets and, and kind of move the probabilities to be closer to what they think will happen. And kind of the power of the prediction market is that you're aggregating all of these viewpoints and you're providing incentive um, for them to provide their knowledge in a public arena. So there's yeah various ways to arbitrage um, different outcomes and it's essentially a freely traded market. And then at the end, um, so usually you specify like when the market will end, um, so when it expires. And so when the market expires, you also specify uh, who's going to be submitting the results, so who the oracle of this market will be. Um, so when the market ends, the oracle should submit its result. Um, and there's a 24-hour window where the oracle can submit the result. Um, the reason it's a 24-hour window is because it's possible that the oracle doesn't show up. And in the case that the oracle doesn't show up, the market creator had placed a bond. So the market creator actually gets part of their bond slashed because they picked a bad oracle. And then uh, it's just open to anyone to, to submit a result at that point. So just someone who wants to volunteer um, to say what their result is can submit a result. After that, uh, we have kind of this dispute uh, resolution mechanism. So if someone else says, hey, that's not the result, I don't think it's A, I think it's B. Um, they can they can put some bond down and say it's B. And depending on which uh, dispute resolution mechanism, uh, we either enter into the court or we enter into simple disputes um, or, or potentially another mechanism um, that we develop later on. Cool. And then you you mentioned earlier on that like that can go for several rounds of increasing jurors and and then eventually if if you push it to its limits you evoke everybody to be a juror and then we for sure will figure out kind of the the true wisdom of the crowd. Um, okay, so that makes sense. I guess my my next question is that works in in a perfect world very well for like empirical things. So like for example, we know for sure that. Corora won the first slot. It's inequivocable. But um, are prediction markets as useful for things that are subjective? Like, can we say, like, can I can I open up a, a market and say, Relay Chain is the best blockchain podcast of all time? And can we actually come to a reasonable conclusion of whether or not that's true using this prediction market? So yeah, actually, um, prediction markets um, do that very well. And um, in my experience, I've seen a lot of applications over the years on prediction markets uh, applied to product development and market research. So as you're uh, thinking about which products to build, you're you're doing a survey of the market and trying to you know find that product market fit of like we could build this, we could build that, and and we worked with a few mobile device companies um, and you have a lot of decisions to make on the size of the screen, the processor, the battery size, the enclosure. And there's no wrong answer or, or necessarily right answer, but what you want to do is um, based on the the objectives that you have on like say revenue or, or your, your development timeline, you can use the prediction market to help decide these, these metrics. And so Prediction markets can be used for aggregating opinions about subjective 
data. Ultimately, you you do have a a objective measure to judge the subjective. Like at some point, we're going to end this market, and then we're going to use uh, a way of analyzing the 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 market, um, the subjective trades uh, in an objective way. But yeah, you, you definitely can use markets in subjective contexts. Okay, and doing doing some research here. There's this concept of like the the Keynesian kind of beauty contest thing where where it's like nested layers of game theory where people participating are incentivized to provide an answer, but knowing that other people are also going to provide an answer, you're incentivized to pick the answer that you think everybody else is going to pick. So how does that kind of play in? And are there any mechanisms or levers in Zeitgeist that kind of mitigate these things? Or is that a true prediction market? Is that healthy for a prediction market? Sure. Well, I mean, that's a great question. And what I described a moment ago uh, is a, a Keynesian beauty contest of like, you know, for building a phone, should we have a large screen or a large battery or and helping you decide those trade-offs? But that's why you want to have an objective measure like um, a completion date or revenue. Like you, you can ask the question in a market, which are, which are cooler, red shirts or blue shirts? And you can run a market on that for, let's say, a month. And at the end of the month, you're going to do a payoff. And let's just say the blue shirts are trading higher based on some sort of volume weighted average price over the last like week, you know, just like you would do for a survey or an opinion, uh, you know, focus group, you, you were to ask that question. You could aggregate the same information in a prediction market. What's different about a prediction market is if if the reason you were doing that is because you wanted to make the most money, you know, from whatever the shirt color is or whatever you're deciding, then um, prediction market's going to help you answer that question most effectively. Um, and so there are other mechanisms um, that we can bring to bear. There's something called a, a Bayesian truth serum that is very effective at, at helping measure and 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 reduce these biases there as long as you think about it up front you can you can design your incentives accordingly i see okay let's talk about some of the other use cases for zeitgeist um and maybe getting into like some of the more real world cases Uh, david you mentioned you are very interested in politics and we've heard a lot in recent times about you know the election process and finding out the true wisdom of the crowd, the true will of the people. So how do you see prediction markets in general and, and zeitgeist playing into this kind of um, problem? And definitely politics is a great domain. And so if you think about it, when a political um, market has uh, several, like an election has several gates that you get through, there's there's a nomination process, there's fundraising milestones, and then there's a general election. And, and at the state presidential level, there's different state contests. And so what you want to do uh, is as a, as a candidate or as a party is pick your candidate that will ultimately win the election. And that candidate may not be the obvious choice when you're talking about, say, at the primary level. And so we've seen examples where, you know, there, there's a really popular candidate. If you're running just a, a sort of a, a Keynesian beauty contest on just like who's popular right now, you'd, you'd have one answer. But if you looked at it in light of the sort of broader general election, it would be a different answer. So that's a really good contrast of how um, prediction markets contrast with something like, say, opinion polling, where a poll asks you, if the election were held today, who would you vote for? But a prediction market is asking, 
win the election as hell, who do you think will win? And so to go back to the Kusama Derby example, you know, if we ran a, a survey about that, we would have just asked, well, who do you, who do you want to win the slot versus who do you think is going to win? So, you know, incentives matter. And so when, when money is on the line, people have an incentive to pick what uh, they think is the actual outcome versus the outcome that they, they want. And so it's uh, got a lot of relevance uh, in the political domain for sure. Yeah, I think that's something that's super attractive to me in blockchain in general. Um, I'm a huge fan of governance over governments. And I wonder if we actually need these representatives, like if we if we need to vote for a single person to make decisions and whether or not something like Zeitgeist or a prediction market can be used on a more granular level to determine what our government's policy should be like should we have higher taxes lower taxes any any kind of decision normally that a government would make is it feasible to do that with with a prediction market on a more granular level and it's less about an individual making these decisions and it's more about the consistent will of the people right absolutely yes yeah one of our key goals for zeitgeist in regards to politics, is to be a, um, a mechanism for generating policy advice. And so as we do that and we build up a track record on providing signals about which policy would, would yield the most uh, advantageous outcome, then we expect that savvy politicians will look at that and follow that. And then if they don't, then there's a very robust mechanism providing advice and we can ask them, hey, you know, why, why are you not following this, this policy advice when it's, when it's consistently yielding, you know, um, accurate intelligence? And so we think that's very interesting. You know, politics, you know, we're, we're less interested in necessarily making the existing system more efficient than we are in helping uh, more people get engaged in politics and just having the whole process be more transparent. Absolutely. Yeah. Transparency is key and blockchain aids that perfectly. Okay. Let's talk about the types of prediction markets, because I know you guys support at least three types. There's categorical, scalar, and combination. What do those mean? And like, what are their uh, use cases? Uh, with Zeitgeist, we're aiming to build like the primitives of prediction markets. So we want to cover all the types of prediction markets that we can. So uh, with categorical markets, uh, what you have is you just have a number of separate outcomes, so categories of outcomes. Um, so this can range from, uh, in the most simple form, two outcomes, so yes or no, uh, what, what's commonly known as like a binary market. It can either happen or it doesn't, or uh, up to potentially uh, 10 or more outcomes. So the, this is what we use for the Derby, for instance, and each outcome was uh, a different parachain team. That's one type of market. Um, but another market is a scalar market. Some markets you don't want to pick between um, outcomes because you could potentially have a, a whole range of outcomes, like a, like a whole, it could be zero, it could be 100,000, it could be any any point between that. You, like usually financial markets, for instance, so predicting the price of an asset in the future uh, would be on a range. Um, you would set a minimum and a maximum and then the market would uh, create a prediction uh, between those two points. Um, and then I think, yeah, probably the most interesting one is 
the combinatorial market, yeah, which I'll let David talk about. Yeah, so, so combinatorial markets um, basically allow for composable prediction markets, which is something we haven't seen in the, in the crypto space yet. We're excited um, to be supporting that. And so you can imagine as a, um, as a project working on um, their platform and has markets on deciding things like what features should we build? Is the impact on the security of the network uh, based on these features? We want to increase the, the transaction throughput, the, the number of addresses and other dimensions. And so in a, um, in a typical prediction market, you'd, you'd have all of these as individual markets. And that's the same thing with Zeitgeist. But with Combinatorics, you can actually link all these things together to have a composable prediction market. So you can get an answer about you know, optimizing over these dimensions. So it'll tell you, you know, what features will have the best security uh, and, and with the best transaction throughput, you know, for example. And so it's a very powerful uh, mechanism that, you know, is vastly more valuable than traditional prediction markets. And um, we're, we're really excited about it. Very interesting. Could you give like a, an example of like where a combinatorial market would be used? Sure. So going back to um, politics, let's say you're trying to um, pick a candidate based on um, how they're going to, um, there's a market on the primary election. Uh, There's a market on uh, different states like in the New Hampshire or uh, South Carolina primary. And and so what you want to do is if we pick candidate A, what's the probability that they will make it through the primary as well as both of these states? And then candidate B, what's the probability that they will make it through both South Carolina and New Hampshire? And then based on the, those prices, you could see, wow, you know, we had this really front runner that's going to primary well, but they're not going to make it through these other early contests. So we can have the security of, of picking maybe the less obvious choice that's actually going to do better in the general election. And so um, you could also think about it in terms of let's say a basketball bracket where um, you have, you know, the final four. And in, in addition to, you know, picking which team is going to win it uh, each bracket, you're actually picking who's going to win at the sort of semifinal, final, and like championship match all in a series. Mm, I see. So it allows more, more granular, more sophisticated kind of knowledge. Right. And composability. Awesome. That makes more sense. Very cool. Um, so you guys said that you were you're building an SDK, and you're going to allow apps essentially to plug into to Zeitgeist. And so does that mean like anybody can have their own front end and ask their own questions and use Zeitgeist as as the back end for that? Exactly, that's the goal. So Zeitgeist is a permissionless protocol, so we encourage people to build their own front ends. And the purpose of building the SDK is to make this as easy as possible for entrepreneurs or builders to come in um, who might have a really good idea and just to quickly set up their prediction market-based application. So yeah, by no means is the SDK required. Um, You could always access the chain um, directly using um, like the Polkadot.js API directly. Um, the SDK just aims to provide like a guided, um, guided way to do that and a way to do it quicker with kind of more safety measures turned on. Right. So I guess through that, is that a way by which an organization, a startup or, you know, a, a community can introduce Futarchy into their own governance structure? 
Yeah, definitely. Like there's um so there's two different sides of this. There's a side where it's like futarchy by signal only. Um so this is you kind of honor the prediction markets and the signals that you're getting from them, but there's no kind of enforceability um there. And then the other side is like futarchy that is enforced. Um so since we're building prediction markets in like the native layer, we can use prediction markets um and enforce different ways proposals will will take place. And what we want to do with Zeitgeist is to first demonstrate this out on our own chain. And then ideally, as it's theorized, uh, this is a um, augmentation to governance. And so other projects would come and use it as well. And lately, we've been um, talking to some people, like just brainstorming how this could work. And um, the cool part about building in, in the Polkadot ecosystem and deploying to Kusama is that with XCM, uh, we could actually do this for other chains too. So if it is something that we prove out on Zeitgeist um, that is useful, potentially any parachain, um, if they opt into it, could have enforceable futarchy as well. Yeah, and then further on, we would support DAOs that could do that as well on Zeitgeist. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a very attractive piece of substrate in the Polkadot ecosystem is that it's so composable. And with XCM, that's really like the magic of it. And I can imagine how parachains would be able to leverage Zeitgeist in the future. So that's super awesome. What else are you guys excited about? Like what's on the, the horizon for you? How do you see you know, Zeitgeist changing the world? Yeah, so I mean, most of our um, effort at the moment is is spent on um, building an application that's going to have really good UI UX and is going to be able to be something that people will come and use and they want to use. Um, I think we've seen prediction markets in the past, prediction markets on blockchain kind of be plagued by this curse of bad usability. And we, we want to make sure that the Zeitgeist application is dead simple to use, super simple to just come in. If you have some information, uh, you can use that information in, in a market. Um, so we're super excited to um, ship that um, soon. Um, we're still actively working on it, um, but it's kind of the next thing that we want to kind of push out the door um, while still in this testnet phase that we're, that we're in. Um, and then, of course, we're super excited for um, mainnet launch later later in this year when we're planning to uh, deploy as a parachain to Kusama. Sweet. And so, yeah, you're you're planning on doing a, an initial launch on Kusama. Is there any ideas of whether or not you will go for a slot on Polkadot as well? Or do you think Kusama is particularly catered to your needs? Yeah, so, I mean, we're big fans of Kusama. We like the kind of very move fast and break things like chaos, embrace the chaos ethos of Kusama. Uh, we think it's a good fit for Zeitgeist. We're not ruling out the potential of a, a Zeitgeist um, Polkadot deployment in the future, um, but we, we're only planning to deploy Zeitgeist mainnet to Kusama. We're going to do that. We're going to focus on our Kusama deployment and then see how things go, might change in the future. Um, we're thinking now that with the Kusama Polkadot bridge, um, when, when that's available, uh, we'll have interoperability interoperab in the wider Polkadot ecosystem. Yeah, it's not something we're ruling out, um, but it's also not something that we're seeing as super critical um, for, for Zeitgeist. Makes sense. So yeah, you mentioned that you're, you've got Battery Park running, and that's your, your test net, and um, 
the Kusama Derby recently concluded. What's the next kind of step? Are you are you still are you going to do a couple more campaigns uh, on the testnet before uh, launching your your main project on Kusama? Or like, what do folks listening have to uh, look forward to there? Yeah, so we are planning to do another um, campaign, not like in the next month, like not in the very immediate uh, term, but not too far out either. Like before mainnet, uh, we will hold another campaign. Um, so the community essentially gives the community a, a, um, a chance to kind of get to use Zeitgeist. Um, before we do that, we do want to do the kind of main application that we're working on. So with the Derby, um, since we have uh, the main application is still kind of being worked on, we deployed kind of a preview of the application. Um, so the next step for us is to actually build the generalized application where people can um, not only trade the markets, but also create the markets. And once we have that, once we ship that on the testnet, uh, we're going to hold another campaign and go through the whole rounds of getting people to use it, break it, solve bugs um, in preparation for yeah our mainnet deployment. Perfect. So I know you guys are working on a white paper as well. Do you have any any hints on when that will be released and we can sink our teeth into it? Yeah, so we have we we don't have a date on that. Um, we do have we do have like the most of the meat drafted out there. Uh, the the only reason we haven't published it yet is because we're, we're we still have some kind of more research aspects that we want to work into it. Um, so with with some of the recent stuff we've published on uh, Rokito, as well as some of the stuff we we want to publish on Combinatorics as well. Um, so yeah, expect it soon, but there's no date. Soon, TM, very classic. It's definitely known in the in the blockchain space. Um, so we'll be we'll be waiting and watching. Uh, where would be the best place to keep up to date with the project? Where will all the announcements be released? Yep. So we have all the traditional social media channels. Um, you can find us on Twitter at zeitgeistpm. Our website is zeitgeist.pm. Um, PM short for prediction market. From the website, you could find our a telegram room, our Discord server, which is kind of our main community. That's where that's where they are. And then of course our newsletter is probably the best place to sign up and to make sure you're you stay up to date on any new uh, events we might be having. Great. And um you guys are you're a small but growing organization. Uh, I noticed that you guys are are hiring right now. Do you want to put a call out to the community, the type of folks that you're looking for? Sure. So we have a couple job posts open. We're looking for um, a really solid uh, designer who likes to do kind of branding and marketing sides of things, as well as take bites out of the UI UX part. Uh, we're also on the search for a really good TypeScript developer who likes to who likes to work more on the back end of things, not not really on the front end. Um, and this is to help us architect and build out build out the SDK and kind of other tooling um, that we'll need. Um, and then one that we are looking for, we haven't put a post up yet. We haven't fully defined it, but something like a head of prediction. Um, so this is someone who will be kind of taking ownership over uh, when we do have the prediction markets live, um, taking ownership over kind of moving them forward and kind of not only doing that, but also like coming up with interesting market ideas and creating new markets and kind of promoting these to the communities in different ways. 
That sounds like a very interesting role. I, I feel like a prerequisite in order to apply for that is you need to have like a crystal ball or something like that consistently. It might be a magic eight ball to uh, consult <laughs> with everything, but head of prediction is awesome. I love the sound of that. All right, gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for, for being here today. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to, to mention before we uh, head off for the day? It's all good for my end. Yeah, anything for you, David? No, I was just going to say uh, thanks very much. I really enjoyed the conversation, Jordan. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, gentlemen, for, for joining us today. Really enjoyed the conversation and um, really excited to follow Zeitgeist as it continues to grow. And I think prediction markets are a super fascinating topic and uh, can't wait to see it all come to life. Um, thank you very much again. Have a good day. Well, thank you. You too. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Relay Chain. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the subjects we talked about today. So please reach out to us on Twitter at RelayChain or by email podcast at parity.io. The team at Parity has some of the brightest minds working towards building a robust and inclusive ecosystem that puts power back into the hands of its community members. With cross-chain communication as a primary goal, we aim to break down the tribalistic barriers that have formed throughout the blockchain industry. If you want to learn more about what we're building, or if you want to join our team, visit our website at parity.io and sign up for our newsletter at parity.io newsletter.